Welcome to Coffee Talk with Linda Davis. I'm Linda Davis. Just a little bit about myself before we get started today. I love Jesus. I love coffee. And I love sharing keys to abundant living now. I believe we can be walking in our abundant life now. How do we do that? I share keys weekly, every Friday, on how we can have a more prosperous life now. And by prosperous, I'm not just talking about finances. I'm talking overall in our life with a rooted and anchored joy, Uh, joy in our relationships, joy in our decisions, joy in what we put our hands to, whether that's in the workplace or whether that's in ministry, whether that's raising children, whatever that looks like for us. How do we have abundant living now? So if you don't already have a cup of coffee, go grab a cup and let's get started today as we talk about trust in the midnight hour. That's the toughest time, isn't it? Trusting God when you can't see God. By see, what do I mean see God? None of us have actually seen God, but we can see him. We can feel him. We can know that was him, right? People call, people talk about having a God moment um, when something transpires in their life that they couldn't have. They had a hand in it, but they couldn't have possibly made it happen on their own. That's a God thing. It's a God moment. When you know that you know God has caused this thing to happen in your life. So before that, it seems like it's a midnight hour. It seems like the darkest time. What happens in the dark? You can't see. You don't know what's going on. You may stumble uh, on things that are left on the floor. But if we can see God, if we don't take our eyes off of God, what God has said to us, what we know God has promised us, what we know God has shown us, if we pull ourselves back, and it's not an easy thing to do, but if we can do it, if we can pull ourselves back in those midnight hours, in those moments of frustration, in those moments of, I just want to let go, I just want to be done, I'm tired, I just want to give up, I want to stop, I want things to be easy, is actually what we're saying. And things truly never will be easy, whether we give up on the things of God or we don't. We, we get deceived by Satan because he puts this little thought in our head that says, if you just stop all this, things will be easier. And he knows they won't, but it's kind of, he just puts that thought in there and then he leaves. It's that thought that says, things will be easier. Just like he said to Eve in the garden, Did God really say, don't eat of that tree? He just put a little doubt. And what did she do? She started having a conversation with the devil that was never supposed to take place. She should have cut that conversation off right when the first question was put, planted, I guess, in her mind. We have to do the same. The moment that a question comes into our mind that doesn't line up with God, that plants a seed of doubt. Right there, we have to stop that conversation. We have to say, I'm not having that conversation with you. I'm not going down that road with you. Have you ever done that in the natural when you're having a discussion with somebody and you know it's going nowhere, you know it's not a good conversation and you stop it in its tracks? We have to do that with the devil because he's gonna plant seeds of doubt. 
And I always say this, I actually wrote a book and this is in it. Faith and doubt, they can't hang out together. Faith and doubt cannot hang out together. And if doubt's trying to creep in, the truth of the matter is it's eating away at your faith. Doubt carries a backpack. And in that backpack, doubt has discouragement, frustration, impatience, depression, weariness, fear, anxiety. These are all the things packed in a backpack of doubt. And the devil comes in and he puts the backpack down in front of us when we're standing in faith, when we are doing what the Bible says, having done everything we can possibly do to stand, we stand therefore, having done all of that, because we know God said something. There's nothing like knowing God has said something to you. Nothing like it. And then you stand and you remain in that and you're pumped and you're excited and you're like, God showed me this. It's going to be phenomenal and it will be phenomenal. But there's this process of getting to that phenomenal. And that's where the devil comes in and he puts the backpack down. And one by one, he tries to unpack these uh, offspring of doubt and get us to just, just take one by our hands and hold it. And the moment we contemplate that and embrace it, our faith starts to wane. It starts to lower because faith and doubt, they cannot mingle together. We are either standing in faith or we are standing in doubt. Now, I'm not talking about a moment, a flickering thought. I'm talking about entertaining a thought having a conversation in our mind with thoughts of doubt. You're probably very familiar with the serpent showing up to Eve in the garden, but I'm just going to go there for a minute because that was the first mistake. If Eve had never entertained that conversation, she never would have grabbed of the forbidden fruit and her and Adam never would, would have been thrown out of the garden. So it says in Genesis chapter three, verse one, now the serpent, and don't miss this, the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field, which the Lord God had made. You know, he's not coming in, blowing a trumpet, announcing that he showed up and he's here to taunt you, or he's here to entice you down a path that God didn't intend for you, or he's here to bring weariness. He doesn't make an announcement. It's not an obvious thing. It's subtle. It slithers in the back door. As a matter of fact, I can't recall where I saw this, but I just read a story about a couple who had bought a new house and there was this funny smell in their house. It was somewhere around the laundry room and they did everything. They drained pipes. You know, she bleached the house up and down. They they treated the water. They did everything to try and get rid of this smell. And then, and she posted a picture of it, wherever I read, I wish I could recall to give credit, but I can't. So she posted a picture of this snake right near the dishwasher under the cabinet, right next to the laundry room in her kitchen. And he blended in pretty well with the floor. So that morning she had gotten up, walked right by the snake into the laundry room. And she's like, there's the smell again. And then her husband came into the kitchen and he saw the snake. She had walked right by it. 
This snake had been in the house since the day they moved in. And there was a slight stink, a slight smell, whatever kind of snake it is, I can't recall, but whatever kind of snake it is, it gives off a slight foul odor. So, I mean, that's pretty powerful, but that really, and, and her and her husband talked about it. And she's like, how'd the snake get in? And he's like, well, we could have left the door open. You know, we we're moving in and out that day. It could have just slithered right in unnoticed to all of us. We had the door open, the kids were going in and out. And that's how it is with the devil. It just takes a slight opening of a door, a slight thought that you entertain and in he comes and he's starting to set up camp and he's going to put off a foul odor. You're not going to quite recognize it, but you're going to wonder what it is. That's what's going on here in Genesis three. You know, the serpent doesn't come up to Eve and say, hey, I'm about to ruin everything you have right now. I'm about to take all this goodness away from you. I'm about to take away your naked fellowship with the Lord. I'm about to pull all that from you if you have a conversation with me. He doesn't do that. What does he do? He plants a small seed of doubt. That's all he does. He says to Eve, did God really say you cannot eat of every tree of the garden? Well, that's not what he said. So see, right here, he's twisting the words of the Lord, the words of God, the command, actually, of God. He's twisting it. Because no, God did not say. So actually, the devil's right here. The serpent's right. He didn't say they couldn't eat of every tree. So there's a little bit of twisting going on. Just enough to alter the word of God. And so this is how he gets her to entertain a conversation with him. Because if if he had worded it differently, she would have recognized it as deception And she would have stepped back. But being as subtle as he is, he worded it in a correct manner that she would have to think about what he said. And then she ends up responding, thinking she's going to prove truth to him. We don't need to be having any conversations with the devil. We don't need to prove any kind of truth with him. And so we go here and she answers the serpent in verse two. And she's kind of, you know, I'm kind of paraphrasing a little here, but she's like, oh, no, no, we can eat a We can eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden. So now she thinks she's just pointing out truth to him, but he has now lured her into a conversation she should never be having. So she continues on, but, so she kind of tells him the one tree we can't eat of, but of the fruit of the tree, which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat of it. Neither shall you touch it or you will die. The serpent's already got her because he's got her in a conversation with him. Verse four, the serpent says back to her, here's the doubt. You shall surely not die. You're not going to die like modern day times. Come on, you take a bite of an apple that's going to kill you. I don't think that's really how it is. Don't we do that with the word of God now? Someone will say, I don't really think that's what God meant. We got to know exactly what God meant. And for us, when God speaks to us a personal word, we have to know the truth of the word. We have to write it down, put it before ourselves on a continual basis, remind ourselves on a continual basis of what he actually said instead of of trying to recall what he might have said. I want to say that again. If God has given us a personal word, we really need to write it down And we need to recall what he actually said, not what we think he said. 
Because over time, the words can get skewed. God's going to do what he said he's going to do. He's not going to do what we think he said. He's going to do exactly what he said he's going to do. And those are the promises we stand on. We don't let anything else come in. What did he say? No matter how ridiculous it looks, he's going to do it. No matter how hard it looks, he's going to do it. What do we do? We stand therefore. We don't entertain the devil. We position ourselves for the promise to be fulfilled. We do whatever it is in obedience God has told us to do because we always have a portion in something that God has said to us. So he goes on to say, this is still the serpent talking in verse five. For God doth know that in the day you eat, so in the day you eat of the fruit of the tree, which is in the midst of the garden, the day you eat of that, God knows your eyes will be opened and you will be as God's, lowercase, God's, knowing good and evil. Now he's got the woman thinking. And that's the thing. When we entertain the devil, he will twist words and he will get us to thinking in ways we should not be thinking. And next thing we know, the promises of God are slipping by us. Verse six, and the woman saw that the tree was good. She took a second look at what the devil said. That's why I'm saying a fleeting thought is one thing, but we got it right. The word tells us cast down those vain imaginations. That word cast down translates out to throw violently to the ground. The minute an, a, a thought comes into your mind that does, you know it doesn't line up with the word of God, you got to rip it out of your mind, throw it on the ground and stomp all over it with the truth of God. We cast down those vain imaginations. We don't give it a second look. That's what Eve is doing here. She's giving it a second look. She's like, huh, that tree does look pretty good over there. That second look will get you every time. She saw that the tree was good for food. God never said it wasn't good. He said, don't touch it. Doesn't matter why, right? Just like when we tell our little kids, don't touch that. Even when you explain why, like, right, don't play out in the middle of the street. Why? Because they're cars. Yes, yeah, so I don't get it. The child doesn't understand. You know, reminded of a story years ago. One of my sons, little, little, and I was ironing clothes I mean, he was old enough that he could reach up on an iron board and touch the iron. <laughs> so I was ironing clothes and I needed to go grab something. And I told him, don't touch that. It's very hot. He was old enough to understand. But you know what? Curiosity got the best of him. I left the room for a moment. He touched the iron with his fingers. Now he knows he's done something he didn't, wasn't supposed to do. So he goes over on the couch. He, he is burning up in pain. But he doesn't want to let me know because he did something he shouldn't have done. He didn't understand the full consequences of not listening to what I told him. It's the same with Eve here. She doesn't really understand the full consequences of what God has told her. Because like my son, he's looking at the iron and he's like, how is that hot? I don't see steam when things are on the stovetop in the hut, we see steam. I don't see any steam. I don't know if that's really hot. I don't know if I believe my mother, so I'm going to touch it. That's what Eve's doing here. I don't know if I really believe. Well, that tree looks really good. Why can't we have that fruit? That doesn't make any sense to me. So she reaches out for the apple. She sees that it's good. God never said it wasn't good. And now she desires it. She entertained a conversation with the devil she took a second look and the desire has increased. 
And we're not even going to get into the whole fact that that of her, her conversation with Adam, but we know she took a bite of the forbidden fruit. We know that, and it cost her greatly. It's cost all of us greatly, actually. But we have to understand there is a midnight hour for us. But we also have to stand on that God will do what he said he will do if we allow him to do it, if we walk in obedience, if we stand therefore. The promises of God are mighty, they're bountiful, and they're powerful. But I say this all the time. We have our portion in it. God has a promise for us. He's already given it to us. It's already ours, but there will be a battle. And it's up to us, just like it was the Israelites all the way back in Numbers chapter 13, right? Going into the promised land. We can either see ourselves as victors and overcomers, or we can see ourselves as grasshoppers. It's up to us how we want to see the situation, how we want to enter the battle, right? God had already given the Israelites the land of Canaan, but they could only see what their eyes believed. They gave God no place in their battle plan. And because of that, they saw themselves as grasshoppers. They saw themselves as losing, but there were two, right? Joshua and Caleb who believed the promises of God, believed and stood on the fact that, wait, no, we can do this. We can win. We know there's going to be a battle, but God said that's ours. And if he said that's ours, then we will be victorious in the battle. Because why? I can look back in every area that God said, and then he did. And then I stood in the promise of God. Remember, God said, two who stood up and said, God said. So I want to encourage you today. Don't get into a conversation with the devil because remember, he's trying to unpack the backpack of doubt and he's trying to um, beat away at your faith because remember, faith and doubt, they cannot hang out together. So don't even entertain that conversation. Don't take a second look. Even though something looks good over there, it looks bountiful. If it wasn't for you, it wasn't for you. You just have to trust God that he knows better than you where that would have led. And then remember the promised land he's given you. There'll be a battle to, to um, possess it. But if he's already said, he's already said, be one of the two. Be one of the two that say, oh no, we can surely do this. Joshua and Caleb, they knew. They knew it was an exceedingly good land. They did know, yes, that there were giants among the land, yes, but they did not see themselves as grasshoppers because God was on their side. And they simply counseled the Israelites in this way, Joshua and Caleb, don't rebel against the Lord. Don't fear the people of the land. The Lord is with us. The Lord is not with them. Don't fear them. Stand in the promises of God. Have faith remain. So just real quick, I want to close with this. God did not send, or God did not have Moses send the 12 spies into Canaan because he didn't know how to prepare because God didn't know what was there. He didn't do that for that reason. No, it was to show the Israelites their faith. 
It was to show them where their trust stood. And for most of them, it stood in themselves. And they weren't able on their own. They were actually right. But what they weren't standing in is that they were able with God. And he wanted them to see that. He wanted to show them their faith. It's interesting. They all saw what God said was true, that the land was flowing with milk and honey, that its fruit was bountiful. Remember, they even brought some fruit back. But yet they could not believe the portion that God said that they would possess the land, that victory would be theirs. They could not believe they would actually possess the land. Only two of them could believe it. Be one of those two. Stand firm. Stand therefore in your midnight hour because breakthrough is coming and God is going to do what God said he will do. He does it every time. His promises are yes and amen. Our portion, remain in faith. Don't have conversation with the devil. Don't take a second look. Be obedient to God and stand therefore and you will possess the promises the Lord has spoken to you. 